Hello, everyone, and gills alike. Welcome to another episode of Gills Talk. Our featured Gills Club scientist today is Dr. Christine Stump. She is a marine biologist who specializes in tropical marine ecology, where her research interests and background include shark ecology, predator-prey interactions, fish spawning, aggregations, effects of anthropogenic activities on species and habitats, and using telemetry to investigate spatial ecology. Throughout her interview, you will hear her mention her research with the Nassau grouper and as well as the lemon shark. And us being shark lovers alike, I thought I would give you some fun facts about the lemon shark before we get started with our interview with Christine today. The reason why it is called the lemon shark is because it does have a yellow tint or hue to the skin, which helps it be able to camouflage within the waters that it does occupy. And they can be found in subtropical and tropical waters of the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean. They do typically like shallow waters of coral reefs and mangrove forests and enclosed bays. And you'll hear Christine talk about her experience with lemon sharks in mangrove forests throughout her interview today. This interview was so fun to do and be able to talk to Christine about her past research experiences, but Christine really digs into some really great moments throughout her research with the Nassau grouper and with lemon sharks in the Bahamas. Then her current experiences being a high school teacher and how she can tie that in to her current research and being able to inspire the next generations about our oceans and sharks as well. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Christine Stump. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining me this afternoon for um, our first interview for our podcast, The Gills Talk. Thank you for inviting me on. <laughs> you are very welcome. Um, so you are involved in many different realms here within the shark research community. But to tell our listeners, um, what is your current research focused on? Right now, I, I sort of do two things. I have a full-time job. And that is I teach at a high school in Miami. Um, and then I have my science job, um, which is I have a, a consulting firm with another uh, Gills Club co-founder, Heather Marshall. Yes. Um, and it's called Field Lab Consulting. And so it's a, it's a vehicle for us to be able to do research whenever we can, wherever we can. So the project I'm working on now through Field Lab Consulting is a uh, juvenile hammerhead telemetry project. And that's collaboration with Field School and some folks at the University of Miami who are funded by Nat Geo to do to look at hammerhead juvenile hammerhead movement in the Miami area. So we're working on um, you know tagging and tracking these animals, specifically juvenile hammerheads. But we also have you know ongoing projects where we're looking at um, blood stress physiology. Um, if we catch other things besides that, so I'm doing that on my you know, own time, but then I also involve my high school students in that research as well. So I bring them out on the water and have them help collect data and learn to analyze the data. That's awesome. I think for me, I'm from a small farm town in Pennsylvania, so I couldn't even imagine in high school being able to have that experience. And I think that is just so cool that you are able to give that to your students and especially to that how to have that plant that little seed already <laughs> to have that passion for sharks and shark research so 
I think that's that the is idea. Really cool. That's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's really awesome that you are able to work then with Gills Club co-founder Heather as well. She's also going to be on the podcast as well. So, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, so we're very excited to have her on. Um, not sure when she'll be on, but we are going to have an interview with her at some point. So in this research and what you are are doing, if, if that either is with the field school or with your consulting job as well, um, is there any challenges that you face? I have the same challenges that any scientist has in terms of, you know, funding and time are probably the big ones. You know, there's a limited amount of funding and there's a limited amount of time. <laughs> so those are kind of two of the big challenges um, in addition to, you know, being a field scientist, the regular like, oh, the weather's not cooperating, neither are the sharks, that kind of thing. Of course, there's always challenges being a woman in science. Um, that is carries its own special challenges. And then, of course, there's, you know, the personal challenges that I think a lot of scientists face, which is the idea of, like, you know, imposter syndrome or feeling like I can't keep up with everything all the time, can't keep up with the literature, the latest statistics, the rapidly changing technology, and it's a lot. And, you know, just my natural intellectual curiosities. I want to keep up with all these things. It's hard because so many people are putting out so much good stuff that you can't absorb all of it as fast as you want to. I feel there is this generalization in science that people think that, oh, you go out there, you do your research and you publish it and then that's it. And that, you know, it is much more, you know, it's that communication aspect. If it's through, you know, social media or talks, keeping up with those publications, you know, and then I think just having that flexibility, you know, we all know that if it's crappy weather, <laughs> you're not going to be able yeah. to do your research that that day. Um, so definitely, but kind of piggybacking off of that funding, what is like if you had that extra funding, like what would you want to do with that? Like, is there something you would love to expand on or even start something new? Yeah, I, I think that um, I came up doing all of my uh, PhD and postdoc research in the Bahamas. And uh, I really miss the Bahamas. I miss working in the Bahamas. It's beautiful. Hospital do research there year round in the field. Yes. So I think that, I mean, now I'm home in South Florida and I love it here too. But I think if I had more funding and more time, I would come up with a, a way to go back to the Bahamas, maybe do something where, you know, it's a comparison between what's happening in Florida and what's happening in the Bahamas. Sometimes you see that as the Bahamas is sort of like the pristine area and then Florida is the urbanized, um, anthropogenically influenced area. So there's lots of comparisons you can make there since the Bahamas is the shark sanctuary. So whether you're looking at diet or movement or heavy metal contaminants in the tissues, that kind of thing. So I would certainly find an excuse to go back to the Bahamas and get uh, I think Bahamians involved in the research from planning to execution and and make sure that there's, you know, funding to do follow-ups with the local communities so people can see what the findings are of the research that they helped with. That's just something that I always feel is like the afterthought, and I think it needs to be built into the research. So if there were more funding, I would like to be able to do that, include some of the social science and science communication in the community that the research is being done. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you get that community involved, then they're excited for what's happening. And then they get a feel and I don't know, they just get that connection. 
and mm-hmm. feeling that I did my study abroad down in, in Bibbidi. So I definitely, if there's ever an excuse for me to go back, I'll be the first one on that plane to hop over to, to the island and go back. Um, it's such a, it's such a beautiful area and we all know it's extremely sharky and yeah, I, I would totally be right right there with you to find another excuse uh-huh. <laughs> to go back there. But with everything that you've done, I know you've worked with sharks and I know you've worked with Goliath groupers as well, correct? Uh, Nassau grouper. Nassau, Nassau grouper. grouper. Sorry about that. Um, but what is your favorite like discovery moment that you've had, if it either is with that species or with the species of shark? I mean, there's been a lot. But I think, um, I think in general, discovery of something either new or that you've you didn't know or maybe even confirmed what you thought you knew is exciting because, you know, the whole process of science is, is seeing a pattern and wondering why is that there? And then when you're able to kind of figure it out or when you're able to take a whole bunch of data that's just like noise and actually see a pattern in it, it's like, oh, it's really, it's really cool. Cause that's like what science is. It's like asking questions and then trying to find the answers. So no matter how in- how small in scope it's it's neat to be like whoa <laughs> there's a pattern here or when you think that um an experiment is going to go one way as a certain hypothesis that you have and it actually does and it's like oh my gosh it's true I had a couple examples i can think of like for example um when i was in bimini doing my phd research we were wondering you know how do juvenile lemon sharks use subtitle mangrove habitat as you know, an escape area as a refuge from larger predators like big barracuda or bigger sharks. And I mean, it just, it started from a napkin drawing. We were like, what if we put a little shark in a pen with a big shark and we just like threw it on a napkin and then actually went out and built it and did it. And it turns out the little ones, and we put some artificial mangroves in using PVC pipes. And then we put a big shark in with a little shark, and it turns out the little one just made a beeline for the artificial mangrove. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it worked exactly like we thought it would. We couldn't believe it. So we, we published it, and it was just really neat because it came from a napkin drawing one night. That's amazing. <laughs> in a restaurant. And another time was just like, you know, sitting around the table being like, I wonder what happens when, and then taking that, to the field. So we were wondering, you know, when the, the young of the year, the newborn lemon sharks are are born in this one particular nursery in Bimini. It was like, okay, well, we sample every year, uh, you know, in June for this annual, this annual census. And I, and I was just wondering, well, like, do, you know, when we have, you know, a certain number this one year of, of that original number in the second year, you know, only a certain percentage of them survive. And I thought, I wonder if, I wonder if the mortality happens kind of early on and if you make it, then you're there to the next year or is it just sort of like gradually they start decreasing? So like, well, how are we going to answer that? Well, we started doing the same census methods, but just like in the fall and in the spring. So we just sort of did it two other times in the year. And we found out that it turns out there is sort of like a after all of the newborns are born, there is a big, you know, the mortality generally happens within a couple of months. And then what, what survives that first period of time is what's left when you do the next census. So that was just neat. You know, it's not huge in scope, but it was like, oh, we figured this out from our data. And then with the grouper, the grouper was really cool. So there was a telemetry project and we were looking at the grouper, um, Nassau grouper spawning migration in the Bahamas. 
so the grouper live solitary lives under a rock as adults on the reef. And the way they reproduce is by coming together once a year in big spawning aggregations. So they all go to the same place, same coral head year after year. And it's really predictable, which is great if you're trying to spawn and you're a solitary fish, but it's not so great if your entire population is in one place in one time and you're so predictable that fishermen know where that is. <laughs> so they're overfished, right? And we didn't, we're trying to help the Bahamas better manage that fishery. So we're trying to figure out how far they migrate, what the timing is with the full moon and everything. And we had all these locations of where the traditional spawning aggregations were from fishermen. They would you know, tell us where they were. So we were like, all right, we went to this one spawning aggregation and we um, tagged a couple of fish. And then we waited to see where they would go the next year. And when we got the data back and I plotted it on a graph, their movements were completely unexpected. They were just flowing right past what we thought was the spawning aggregation and going up to this completely different spot that no one had ever put on a map before. And then they turned around and came right back after the full moon. So, yeah. So, and so we published that too. Is like, you know, well, the spawning aggregation we thought was an aggregation actually is, is gone. It's collapsed. But there may be a different spot now. So it's just like these aha moments that are like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe this actually works. <laughs> you know, with that, you know, you're constantly learning even within that project as well. And being able to think, oh, my gosh, like, we thought they were here, but no, like, they're actually over there. And I think that's so cool. But, you know, you're naming different species of animals that you've been able to work with. Um, is there one that's, like, your bucket list? Like, is there, like, I want to work with this species before I retire or end my career? Oh, man, I've been so lucky. <laughs> There's so many. Okay, first, I have to preface this with I am a very tropical person. I'm from South Florida. I don't like to be cold. So as much as there, there are species that I would like to see in cold places, like I don't want to get in the cold water. <laughs> Understandable. But um, yeah, so I mean, very hypothetical. So I think, I think my, the sentimental choice for what I haven't seen yet in person that I would like to see in the wild is a white shark. I mean, that's kind of how it started for me as a little kid seeing dogs. So, you know, I would like to see a white shark. Also, I can't really wrap my head around the size of an animal that big. I've never worked with anything that big. But I think just for, like, intellectual curiosity, I would love to see a cookie cutter shark. Oh, that what, would a be so cool. what a weirdo. What a weirdo. That would be. I mean, we always see, you know, like, tuna come in or, like, whales come in or, like, wash up. And you just see, like, these little perfect little circles on them. And you're just like, I just want to see you. I know. I want to see its tiny little feet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but I mean, for white sharks, we just got to have a gills club re reunion, and you should just come up, and then we can do a big uh, gills okay. club trip. Like, I think that's going to be the best option. <laughs> like, Done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and when things get a little bit better, you know, we're, we're slowly climbing back out of this hole here of COVID. But yeah, I think af after that, we're just going to have to do a gills club meetup and just come here to the Cape. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. We can mark that on our calendar. Um, but you mentioned earlier, you know, there is these di these difficulties in being um, in, in in science and in, in in research. But is there any advice you would give to your younger self, maybe starting off, that you've learned throughout this process? Yeah, learn to code. I mean, hands down, no question. That's just where 
things have gone. Um, you want to do statistics, you need to code. You want to program some piece of tech, you need to code. And I think when I was coming up, um, coding was not as ubiquitous as it is now. And it's such a transferable skill. I mean, I, I know people who have, you know, done their PhDs in marine science, and now they work for, you know, big companies building models by, you know, coding. Because it's... Um, it's not. It's not just a computer skill. It's a thought process skill. It's a logic skill. So not only is it useful as a transferable skill, but it's also, you know, for a, for a job. But it's also just good logical thinking that can help you problem solve in general, which is useful every everywhere all the time. Yeah, I know that. That's a skill I wish that I had. That's like when I was graduating college, um, even though it wasn't that long, long ago, I graduated in 2016, that it was just getting hot. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like that's when it was really starting to be the push. And now, like, I wish I had that in my back pocket as well. It is definitely something that now, like, I've heard you say that, but multiple scientists have been like preaching, like, learn to code. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's hard to catch up, you know, it's, it's one thing that I feel behind on and I've, you know, I've done some online courses um, and I've tried to play with my own data sets, but I, I think that it's important, especially if you're going into the sciences, not only to learn how to code, but to know the statistical tests behind it that you're going to run so you understand what you're doing with the tests that you're coding. So you don't violate assumptions and so you know how to, you know, um, prep the data. So having those, having strong backgrounds in those two things is definitely what I would tell my mid 20 something self. Yeah, absolutely. So with coding, is that something that you didn't maybe anticipate or expect in being in this job job field? Or is there something that maybe you haven't even touched on yet? That is something that when you went into this being like, I'm going to research sharks and our oceans that you were maybe expecting to be doing at this Yeah, point. I had no idea that you'd have to learn a computer language yeah it's fun though it's fun when it works (laughs) (laughs) also there's also for for as many times as it as it works there are 10 times 100 times a thousand times more that it doesn't and it can be very frustrating but then it feels so good when you get your code to run exactly i think that's a common misconception in science that people have that like we go out there you do this research and it's done and sometimes you have to go and Re- reconfigure things and being able to analyze your own data and say, well, what could I have done differently? What can be done better for the next time around? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I always like to know, um, I know we talked about what is, you know, sharks that you study and a shark that you have maybe want to study early see in the future. But if you weren't studying sharks, what would you be doing now? I think about this a lot. <laughs> And I think the answer would be different at various times in my life. One time I went to the Naval Academy for college, but that didn't, that didn't agree with me. Uh, one time I went to law school for two days. That also didn't take. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, so it is something I think about a lot. Um, but I really, really like science. I, I like the process of critical thinking and you know coming up with alternative explanations for things but i'll tell you that when i am doing the projects that i work on when i am doing doing telemetry work the time that i most feel like a a doctor i guess a professional 
is when I'm surgically implanting transmitters into sharks. So cool. <laughs> it is cool. And so I think that I I would have maybe given a try at, at being a surgeon. Um, my mom was a cardiac surgical nurse and uh, I don't know, she, you know, she was always into like science and, you know, surgery. In fact, when I started doing uh, surgeries on sharks for Christmas one year, she gave me like a little pair of hemostats on like a lanyard that I could keep on my belt to zip off and just, you know, work with them. So I think I was, I think I might like to be a, a surgeon, although, um, the idea of working on human patients is way more scary than working on shark patients because, oh man, I feel like, you know, the human stakes are a lot higher. <laughs> <laughs> They've got family. <laughs> sharks have their families although too. Although, although, you know, human patients would be fully anesthetized every time and not trying to bite you while you're doing yes. surgery. So. Yes, you do have to worry way. about that. You have to worry that it's a wild animal. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think it's important to note that, um, you know, you mentioned that you were, you did the Naval Academy, you were in law school and that I think it shows that like everyone has their own path and that, oh, you know, yeah. it's not that this just linear path to, I want to be a shark scientist or I want, you know, I want to be a surgeon. No, like everyone has their own way to be able to get to where they are today. So I think that was, was really interesting. So something I didn't know yeah. about you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's, and it's, it has not been easy. Um, I, you know, thought I was on one path and then there's lots of things that come up unexpectedly. Um, and then suddenly you're taking a different path. And, and at times it's been really difficult. Sometimes it's been by choice. Sometimes it's been by not. You just have to go with it. And never, ever, ever at any point did I think I would like to be a high school teacher. <laughs> and yet here I am and I, and I love it. And, and, and one of the things is, is that every job that I've had from, you know, being a graduate student to a postdoc to, you know, working after in a, in a research station, another research station in the Bahamas, is that teaching has always been a part of my job from undergraduate to graduate. And I've always loved the teaching aspect of it. Um, and so this doesn't feel like such a complete shift because I'm doing the teaching, I'm just the percentage of it is higher. So I'm teaching during the day, and uh, the school that I'm at has allowed uh, uh, allowed me to create a new class called Marine Field Research, where I, I, you know, with some colleagues and I who also have their PhDs from the University of Miami, um, made up this class where we teach the process of marine research from hypothesis generation to lit review to data collection, data analysis to publishing to science communication, using our specialties as you know the project so i get to i get to involve these students in research that i'm doing because if i'm going to involve them you know teach them how to do this i might as well do actual research so i get to do it that way and because of the nature of the high school schedule we have summers off and, and winter break and spring break and so i have big chunks of time where i can go and do my own research on on my time you know with who i want and it's great because it's i've found a way to make it work in a non-academia sense and it is the most rewarding thing that I've done so far of all the things that I've done yeah. and I'm nowhere near where I thought I was going to be and yet this is the happiest I've ever been. And I think that is a great 
spot to end on is that, you know, you are, (laughs) is that, you know, you are combining your loves of science and education and being able, you know, to inspire a younger generation to come up and be, you know, wanting to work within our oceans. Maybe it's not going to be in that shark aspect, but it could be in something else that sparks their interest to be able to continue. So I think that's a great way to be able to combine your passions Mm -hmm. to be able to help everybody around so i want to say thank you so much for coming on um is there any socials that people can follow you on or the field lab consulting yeah so um my i use my twitter handle um which is at dr christine stump christine with a k K k-r-i-s-t-i-n-e stump like a tree (laughs) (laughs) um that's my twitter handle and so anything that uh you know shark related science related i i Retweet um, opportunities for internships and jobs through there. Um, so that's a good place to follow. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. This is great. I like being guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Christine Stump. I found it really interesting, her pathway to where she currently is now. And I hope that you all can connect to that and knowing that your path is gonna be different from somebody else's and that it is definitely not a straight line. Next, we will be interviewing Dr. Gail Schwederman, so please come back for that. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and continue to be inspired, explore, and learn.